0: You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, and today we're bringing you a special episode of the podcast. That's because we're hitting a major milestone for Supply Chain Radio, episode number 100. And with that milestone, we'd like to take a moment and reflect on why supply chain matters and really how it's risen to prominence in today's global businesses. And we'll do so by relying on some of the voices that have contributed to this podcast over the years. And so without further ado, here are Suha Shrider and Greg Kiefer to discuss how supply chain has become so important to today's business.
1: Hey, this is Suha Shrider here in the studio with Greg Kiefer on Supply Chain Radio episode number 100. How are you doing, Greg? I'm
2: all right. It's hard to believe. We've hit the century mark. That's incredible.
1: We have. We have. And you've been there since the very beginning, right?
2: I have. Yeah. This goes back. I was thinking about it. I think we did our very first episode back in 2010. Wow. Which is a lot of years ago.
1: Yes. What was it like back then?
2: Well, we didn't have a cool studio like we do now with with an engineer like Josh over here at the computer. We'd go into a conference room. I think we even shared a microphone to do our first one. So those are like the dark ages.
1: Yeah. And things are much fancier and much larger now everything's bigger
2: yeah i know it's amazing when we first did it i thought oh who's doing podcasts anymore i mean ipods are gone and we got this thing going and and the listenership has been amazing and it's come a long way i think we've got a great little program here and i'm glad that so many people that are listening to this have enjoyed it yeah i
1: agree So talking about going back, you've also worked in the supply chain industry for a long time. I thought for episode 100, it would be kind of interesting to pick your brain about how it's evolved in the time that you've been in the industry.
2: Sure. It has been a long time. I had a lot more hair back then.
1: So how did you get into supply chain? What was the world like back then?
2: So I got into supply chain uh, from a different industry. I never really thought about it or heard about it, knew nothing about it when I started right around the turn of the century back in 2000. And I was just blown away by it. I thought, wow, huge. I call it the underbelly of world commerce. You know, you just realize when you walk into a Walmart and you look at all that stuff in there that the amount of work and money and people that had to participate in getting that store filled up is staggering. It's huge when you think about all the different stores and all the factories and what goes into making a car, what goes into making a phone. And it was really amazing. And obviously there's a degree of complexity that goes along with that. And certainly at the time, technology and and the internet, cloud-based systems, it wasn't called cloud then, by the way, were coming into their their own. And there was a market that had emerged where a lot of technology was coming out, a lot of startups to address this big, massive, broken thing beyond just planning. You know, there were planning software suites, but this was really about how do you orchestrate the making and the moving and the delivering and the paying for the goods, which were all global. It was a global supply chain at the time. Everybody had kind of discovered China. China was not what it is today. It was much smaller. They were doing uh, electronics and and apparel over there, but it wasn't like it is today. It was just emerging. And uh, boy, have we come a long way since then, right? We have. And now globalization is everywhere and in all sorts of
1: complex, twisty ways. It's interesting that you're talking about the fusion of supply chain and global trade and technology. And just within the last 15, 20 years, the kind of technology that exists mobile, uh, the internet, cloud based systems it's mind boggling to see the difference. How have you seen that affect the supply chain industry over these years?
2: Well, you know, when I started the company, GT Nexus, that I started at was a web based system. And, you know, somewhere around 2006, the word cloud became The word. And it became apparent to us very quickly that in the world of supply chain, where it's a combination of different parties that are involved in moving something from point A to point B or making something and moving it, you really couldn't do that with old enterprise software. It had to be in the cloud to really deliver on that promise of a visibility and the ability for multiple parties to see and act on the same bits of information. And, you know, it really, really, once people got over the the paranoia that cloud was safe and it was no different than the other technology. It became more of a, wow, this is the standard. This is, you have to do it this way. And if you look around technology today, cloud is almost forgotten. And we have moved into internet of things and big data and, you know, platforms that are much more than just software and a disc, which is what it was when I first started. So really Amazing because you touched on it, Suhas, the emergence of technology and how it changed from, you know, installed enterprise software to, you know, rent it and use a web browser happened at the same time that globalization and supply chains got mature and essentially any big company was participating globally. You know, they'd moved overseas and today it's gone beyond China. You know, people are making stuff all over the world. It's not just Asia. You know, you're seeing the Middle East and now Africa. And additionally, you're seeing companies now tapping all of these newly minted middle-class consumers in China and other countries that are a little more mature because I think I read somewhere that China has somewhere around 300 million middle-class consumers on their East Coast. They all want iPhones and Nike sneakers and and cars just like us, right? So it's no longer just about making widgets for the cheap and importing them to North America and Europe. It really is a multi-directional, multi-dimensional thing. And I think these two trends, the heck the cloud and globalization really happened at the same time. And I I still think it's early, by the way, too.
1: So speaking of that, now that we have phenomenon like nearshoring happening, trying to sell to the markets that you're producing in, and we're having new technologies like the Internet of Things and 3D printing, what are you excited about as far as the future of this industry goes?
2: Well, I think that, you know, the power of mobile First, there was cloud, which brought the ability for us to you know, to access a CRM system that once upon a time would have cost millions of dollars, and you could pay Salesforce.com $65 a month. If you think about mobile, everybody's walking around with a computer in their hand. You know, probably the computer I had at my desk when I joined here in 2000, my phone is more powerful than that thing was, right? And so the ability for everybody to, you know, participate technologically is now there. And I think that there's still some challenges around, you know, okay, big data is great, but... It's a lot of data and people can't see the ones and zeros from one another. It's like the forest through the trees, right? I think that we're just getting started, but with technology becoming so ubiquitous everywhere, always on, it's going to get really, really interesting. There are new companies coming on all the time. I mean, who would have thought you could, you know, dial up a car to pick you up or you could put your apartment, you know, on a hotel registry and rent it out like a hotel. I think that kind of stuff is going to find its way into supply chain. I can't predict what it's going to be, but I've seen enough ideas and startups, machine learning, robots, drones, where this stuff is just, it's going to amplify and get faster and faster. I think it's going to make it better for everybody. I think it'll help, you know, with costs, pollution, a lot of sustainability related things that are really not good for the earth, I think are going to be solved by all this innovation. And I think it's going to just make companies stronger more financially sound, and I think consumers in the end will win.
1: Very cool. It sounds like we've come a long way, and there's still a long way to go, but it's, it's been an exciting journey.
2: Yeah, yeah. And let's do another 100 episodes of Supply Chain Radio and keep talking about it. Sounds great. Yeah, thanks, Suhas.
1: Thanks a lot, Greg. Back to you,
0: Matt. Thanks, Greg and Suhas. So we framed up a little bit of where supply chains come from and how it's risen to prominence today. And so as a next step, I'd like to share a conversation that I had with Eric Johnson of American Shipper. Speaking at the recent RELA Retail Supply Chain Conference, Eric and I discussed this greater awareness of supply chain among the public, whether that's end customers or really even policymakers that have talked about trade policies and some of the governance around supply chain in the world that we're in today. Here's Eric discussing what some of the new challenges are with this new attention and pressure on supply chain
3: one positive of what's happened over the last few months is that our industry is a little bit more, you know, there's been a light shined on our industry. I think people are more cognizant of global trade, you know, how it impacts their life. I think they're talking about where products are made, where jobs are tied to, free trade agreements. Those kinds of things were very much in a a secluded corner in the world of commerce. They're now being talked about and that's fine, I just think it's, it's sort of unfair to paint trade and all the folks who have jobs that are tied to trade in a position where, you know, they're having to sort of defend the benefits of it because I think we've seen over time that the benefits of trade are vast, not just in the, on a global level, but even within the U.S. And so, you know, people having an understanding, I think they do. You know, I think the ability to kind of adjust the throttle, the speed of the shipment, in that final stretch from the vendor that they buy it from has helped them understand that things don't just magically appear on shelves. So that's good, but there's still so much that they don't really consider or understand. I mean, you talked about crossing borders. You know, a product that they buy, you know, the country of origin's gonna be on there, but components of that product may have originated in five different countries, including the U.S. It may have crossed across U.S. borders as an export, and then come back as an import, that's all good. It creates a lower cost, high quality product and creates jobs on both sides. So I think a lot of the rhetoric that's out there is kind of losing the nuance of this. It's not a binary question about where jobs are and where they aren't.
0: Right. And so as supply chain experts or professionals in this field, it's hard to have that conversation because, again, you're looking at it through the lens of not just, you know, policies and political rhetoric. You're now looking about solving problems, dealing with whatever it is that's come up today. Unforeseen circumstances, yes. Now, when you do oversimplify it, it causes a lot of problems for you as the manufacturer or the retailer out there. All of a sudden, you're adjusting for a, a new tax or for trade lanes that are now much more difficult and cause friction in whatever it is that you're trying to do. How do you start to have that conversation or advocate for this larger view when it is very easy to look at it from a simplistic lens of, well, it's coming from somewhere else?
3: That's kind of the million-dollar question. I mean, I think you go one of two routes. I mean, we heard today retailers are going to Capitol Hill, and they're going to go visit the president, and they're going to talk about not just the impact that any sort of non-tariff barrier might have in terms of consumer prices and you know, disruption to their supply chain, which means jobs. If you're doing something that's reducing their profit margin, then jobs are going to be affected. So they're going that route. You know, I think it's a tougher route to go to the consumer and say, we've got to raise prices because there are, there are barriers up that have restricted our ability to make money. Additionally, I, I'm not really sure how receptive the public would be to retailers saying, we would love to make goods that are all made in America, but this is how much they will cost. Are you guys willing to go for this? You know, again, this goes to that disconnect. I'm not really sure customers realize the split between something that's made wholly in America versus something that may be partially or not at all made in America and the benefits that they get from that. So. It's a great question. I I don't know if anyone has the answer yet. I think the answer is, you know, this industry, not just retailers, but everybody who's involved in global trade, kind of enunciating the direct and indirect benefits from an employment perspective, from a lifting people out of poverty here and around the world perspective. I think most people in global trade have a worldview about things. And it would be nice if we could kind of spread that message to country, but it's tough. It's, it's, it's a tough message to bring.
0: Right. It's a very fragile dynamic where, sure, very easily we, you could pass the buck on to the consumer at the end. It's going to hurt them and it's going to become a lot more costly to just be in this world. If they're not buying as much, it's going to affect the businesses that are trying to sell these things. I, and you talked about uncertainty. So,
3: I mean, most supply chain managers are pretty accustomed to dealing with uncertainty. You know what I mean? They have teams and tools that help them manage things like a ship being late or a volcano erupting or you know, even micro, more micro kind of delays. So dealing with uncertainty is not the problem. But in this case, there is so much grand, high-level uncertainty about where to source from, how free trade agreements might change. It's a lot to manage. It's hard to run a business when so many like, structural things are kind of uncertain right now.
0: Thank you to Eric Johnson for discussing some of the challenges that supply chain professionals are facing right now. Now we'd like to take a little bit of a look ahead. For this next segment, I spoke with Boris Felgendre of GT Nexus. Now, as we've kind of laid out, supply chain has become more important, and it's under more pressure than ever. And it's really a business of dealing with constant change and uncertainty. But Along the way, supply chain has also become a bigger part of businesses themselves as they've all adapted to this new world of global trade that we're in. And so Boris is going to speak now about the role of supply chain and how it's changed and where we're going next.
4: Yeah, I think one thing we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years is that the role of supply chain has really stepped out of the darkness, right, <laughs> so to speak. Like it used to be seen, first of all, as a cost center and something that was going on behind the scenes, right, in the in the warehouse, in the backyard, in the shipping yard, shipping containers, trucking. It had all sort of this, this, you know, back alley sort of um, view of it, right? But what we've seen over the last 5 to 10 years, even 15 years, is that the supply chain as a function has really evolved and stepped into the limelight. One way you can see it is that nowadays you know, the companies that are globally operating and that are successful, many of them have chief supply chain officers, meaning the heads of supply chain actually have a seat at the executive table, which never used to be the case, like maybe 10, 15 years ago. And I see two big reasons for that. Number one is that a lot of companies gotten burned. If you think about in the last few years, what sort of scandals have hit the supply chain? This goes across industries, right? When you think about the textile industry in Rana Plaza and factories collapsing, when you think about the automotive supply chain and malfunctioning products and seat belts not working, <laughs> and airbags not working and, and, and brake systems not working all of these industries have had their share of scandals and problems that originated in the supply chain. And I think a lot of companies have gotten burnt and they realize that no amount of upfront investment into brand and advertising and promotion can offset when something goes bad in the supply chain, right? So elevating the role of supply chain has become a risk mitigation strategy for most organizations. And I think number two is the fact that nowadays, you know, companies don't really operate as single disconnected organisms right if you look at a company like adidas for example almost 100 percent of the products that adidas makes and sells is done by suppliers none of the stuff that you you buy in the store from adidas was actually made by adidas it's incredible so they have hundreds sometimes thousands of different suppliers scattered all over the world right so in that scenario supply chain is everything right it's the way that you manage your suppliers that will decide the success of your organization And that's not only true for for textile and fashion. It's also true for automotive companies, for example. I was recently at a a big automotive conference uh, in Germany, and I learned that Mercedes-Benz, for example, has 1,500 suppliers worldwide. BMW, 1,800 suppliers. Volkswagen, 6,000 suppliers. And one of the biggest tier one automotive supplier, Bosch, they, again, have 18,000 direct suppliers. So combine that with the fact that 75% of the parts that go into a car are not even made by the OEMs, but are made by suppliers, then same scenario there. I mean, 10,000 parts go into a car. So 7,500 parts of those are made by your partners. So if you don't know how to manage your ecosystem of partners, you're screwed. And that, by definition, that's the role of supply chain. So make a long story short, what we've seen is the supply chains evolving and coming to the line, like stepping out of the shadows and taking a very, very prominent role inside the organization.
0: Yeah and that's a great point right there is that these are ecosystems these are networks and the change from being just that simple company that has its own factory that you know is sourcing very simply or locally and building a product that's really only going out to a small area of distribution most of the companies that we talk about or or the biggest leaders out there manufacturing or retail are global and so that's why much of our focus is in that direction now you talk about leadership and you talk about how supply chain has elevated itself, but what are some of the ways that you're seeing companies start to do that? What are the technologies or the trends that are transforming the way that we do look at supply chain and its role?
4: Yeah, I think there's, there's two things here. So it's not only technology play, but to- technology plays a very, very important role. But part number one is that sort of ecosystem view, even realizing that you know, your success doesn't just depend on what happens inside the four walls of your organization. But it's to a large extent dependent on what's happening across your network, right? So that view, that change in perspective, embracing this ecosystem view, I think that's number one. Number two, in order to make that ecosystem view a reality, in order for you to become a successful ecosystem orchestrator, you need a dramatically different sort of technology than you've used in the past, right? So in the past, especially manufacturing was really concentrated around one big monolithic ERP system, a system that's installed in your you know, on your premises and on your own servers to manage processes and data inside the four walls of your organization. That was kind of the the gold standard. But that, you know, it turns out that these sort of systems that were made for just a single entity are not at all good for managing and orchestrating networks. So every technology you employ today in this environment needs to be with a network in mind. It needs to be built in a way that data, for example, can be shared across company borders freely right? So you can give people access rights to data whenever necessary. You can share whenever it's necessary, right? And to collaborate around processes and data, that sort of system requires you to be in the cloud, right? You you can't have that sit on your own servers because then you really don't transcend company borders. So you're looking at a dramatically different technology infrastructure that can make this sort of ecosystem view reality.
0: All right. So a few points that we've made, uh, Supply chain has stepped up, uh, whether it is through executive leadership or people rising up the ranks to lead corporations coming through the supply chain itself, or simply whether it's this new perspective on how the world is a very connected place and how no business is an island unto itself, combined with new technologies, new ways of planning and creating and making goods and delivering them to the market. Supply chains come a long way, but how do you see it changing going forward? Where does this continuing evolution take us over the next five or 10 years?
4: We actually asked that same question to 337 executives from over 20 countries. As a piece of research I was personally involved with just recently. And we asked them of their digital transformation journey of the supply chain. It turns out that most companies have realized a need to transform digitally They also have embarked on a journey, but a lot of companies are frustrated with the progress. But that said, with a time horizon of five years, most companies expect dramatic changes to happen in in just the short time frame of the next five years. And it turns out that companies have identified the key technology enablers of their digital transformation journey. So by far, the most important enabler, according to this piece of survey, is supply chain visibility platforms and tools. 94% of the people we asked named that as one of the key enablers. Big data analytics was number two at 90%. Simulation tools and cloud. So these are the technology enablers that people have identified. There's a big consensus about what those are. And everyone agrees that five years from now, the supply chain will look dramatically different. So more data will be exchanged. The connection with suppliers will be even more closely tied and more closely connected. And for all intents and purposes, I think the supply chain will be a different place. That's what most executives that we talk to predict for the next five years, which is not a long time horizon, by the way, right? Five years, especially if you're talking about big corporations, it's sort of hard to turn a big ship around. By itself, And now imagine turning a big ship around and all its smaller suppliers in the the ecosystem we talked about earlier, how to turn that around as well, because it's not enough for you as an organization to evolve and to embrace digital technologies, but you need to pull along your entire network of partners as well. So, you know, long story short, I, I believe there will be dramatic changes. Everybody feels it. There's a little bit of anxiety in the market that people get left behind and, you know, there's disruption in the market. So people are a little anxious. They want to get smart of it. They make investments. They try things out. They become experimental. Everybody at this point has a digital transformation initiative and they're, they're playing around and have pilots going on all over the place. So, And if you find yourself in the camp of waiting, I think you're, you're, you're making a mistake. I think sitting this one out and waiting on the sidelines for digital transformation to go away, um, that's, not, <laughs> that's not a good strategy. I think the, the next five years, will, we will not see a linear change but the rate of change will change. <laughs> in other words, you know, we will see exponential changes in technology and in the way supply chains are run. So you know, the next five to 10 years will be super, super interesting to watch.
0: Thank you, Boris. And thank you to everyone who contributed to episode 100 of Supply Chain Radio, including Josh Caldwell, who works behind the scenes to bring this show to you almost every week. I'd also like to take a moment to thank all of those who have contributed to the show over the years, whether you've been a part of the GT Nexus family or someone who works in supply chain that's contributed your knowledge to this show. We've learned a lot along the way and we hope to continue doing so in the future. Whether this is your first episode or the 100th that you've listened to, be sure to find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast network. This has been Supply Chain Radio, episode number 100. Thank you for listening.